Amen. Next to the preaching of God's word, the most time that we spend in our times together with corporate worship is time singing, time worshiping in song. Sometimes that means you're sitting, sometimes you get the privilege of sitting right in front of somebody who is just singing with all their heart, and that can be a blessing. It can also be a good way of getting you recruited into the choir. Be careful. We have some folks who say you need to tell them to be in the choir or to sing a special. But we do appreciate folks that can sing with all their heart, and I trust that you've been able to do that so far today. And now as we turn to God's word, I'm going to ask you to bow with me in prayer one more time, and we will ask for his blessing in this time. Heavenly Father, truly we come to you with an understanding of the promise that you have given, that when we join together, there are several things that would happen. We would claim the promise, the presence of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that individually when we study, the Holy Spirit can be our teacher. We praise you that something very special happens when your children join together. We thank you for those promises. And I would ask that very clearly the Holy Spirit would work in hearts as the Word of God is presented, as I have studied, but as some individuals have been prepared in a specific way. Some have done very well to prepare their heart to come to church and to be prepared for a church service and for worship and for teaching. In the school of life, there are some that are here who have been prepared for your word being taught today in a way they would have never imagined just by what has taken place in the past week or the past month or the past hours. We thank you for your supernatural presence with us and we would claim that as we look into your word. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. I do appreciate that we have special days like today that we can celebrate. Um, Mother's Day is sweet and special. Hopefully it is for you. Uh, no matter who you are, all of us have a mother. There are some people that have to share days like today. I met one such person yesterday. We had our Noah's Ark preschool graduation yesterday afternoon, and I sat right down here, and there was a little bit of downtime that uh, we had there as some of the graduates were getting ready for their caps and gowns in the big presentation. And in the three-year-old class, so the younger class, the lambs is what we call them around here, I had a chance while they were getting ready to have a short conversation right here in the front with one of these little lambs because the dad said, tell Pastor Jeremy what tomorrow is. And she said, it's my birthday, just like that. Sweet, chubby little cheeks, just this beautiful little girl. And immediately I thought of her mother sitting right next to her. And I said, oh, you've got to share tomorrow, don't you? And she said, that's okay, it can be her day. What a beautiful picture of a selfless mother saying, you can have this day. And maybe that'll happen about every, was it every seven years that's going to happen for that mom? I'm not sure exactly how that works out. But she's got to share and as you think of the days and those special days that both are celebrating, there is one subtle difference that takes place that that little girl has the advantage of over the mom. One little difference that takes place on birthdays that oftentimes those three-year-old and four-year-old little kids very much accept and believe in. They get to, when they have that birthday cake brought to them, and before they blow out those candles, they get to do something. Some of you know what I'm talking about. What is it they get to do before they blow out the candles? They get to make a wish. Yes, a wish. Some of them will cross their fingers. They'll close their eyes. They won't tell anybody what their wish is because if you do that, you've ruined the whole thing and it won't come true. 
When we get wishes, some people very much so have a thought come immediately to their mind. If I were to ask you today, what wish do you have? Some of you right away would say, this has been my burden for the past amount of time. You would immediately wish that gone. Some of you might ponder it. Some of you are pretty smart. You're good debaters. You'd say, I'm fairly certain that wishes come in threes. I get three wishes, right? Some of you might push for that. When we wish for things, I think that very much so it demonstrates something about us. If you were given a wish, could make any wish, I want to recommend to you and I want to suggest that you take a look at whatever that might be and keep it to yourselves. We're not going to shout out loud what it might be. It might be something very heavy on your heart, maybe something that you want very desperately. What would you wish for? I want to suggest to us as we go to our text today that what you would wish for might be a dangerous thing in your life. When we think about the Word of God, when we think about studying Him, there are some attributes that are easy for us to take in. When you're talking to someone who does not know Jesus Christ and you say, you know what, I firmly believe with all my heart that God is love. Most folks accept that. Most folks will shake their head and say, that sounds good to me. I like that one. God is love. As you go through life, you will learn different names for God. You will learn different characteristics that He displays at different seasons in your life. There are some titles or attributes of God that are not so easy to understand. One such title is the fact that God is jealous. Our God is a jealous God. We cannot deny it because God's word says so. But if you're talking to someone who is not grown up in church, not familiar with Jesus Christ, doesn't have a relationship with him, God is jealous doesn't quite have the same appeal to it as God is love. In fact, I would suggest that some people would criticize God for being jealous. Well, if he's so great, if he's so powerful, why in the world would he be so jealous? Some people might think that this is an insecure God. When God commands his people, and here's what we're getting at, when he commands you to put nothing before me, that's the idea. You and I have a tendency to hold on to very tightly what we put in first place. So let me ask you, what might you wish for? What, that, what might there be in your mind that you would wish for that, not, and you need to not miss this, it might not be a bad thing. In fact, it's likely not a bad thing. The devil knows very well not to have you put something that is wicked or sin up there and make that number one in your life. It does happen sometimes. But he's so smart that what the devil will do is he will take something that everybody would say, how wonderful is that? How about to be a great mother? Is that a good thing? I suggest it is. Can it be taken and put in a place above our devotion to God? Is that what you might wish for today? If you're taking notes, I know some of you do, here is our takeaway for the day. This is kind of a summary of what I want you to get from what we're going to look at um, in the Bible. I want us to celebrate the grace of God that lifts that burden of what you might wish for. Celebrate the grace of God that lifts the burden of being perfect. And you fill in the blank in what category that might be, being perfect. Because our calling today 
And this is, this is critical for us. Our calling today is not to live proudly before the world as those who have it all together. Let me say that again and then wait for the ending. Our calling today is not to live proudly before the world as those that all have it all together. But instead, our calling is to live humbly before the world as those who have been rescued. That's what the world needs to see. And yes, there is no doubt that individuals who follow Jesus Christ, they will seem like they have it all together in quite a few ways. But there are a lot of people who don't know Jesus that seem to have success in those different ways. And so you need to represent Jesus Christ as someone who is humble, someone who has been rescued. Perfection is too often the standard that you might place on yourself. We put this area of perfection out there, and then when we don't achieve it, or when the rug is pulled out in that category, it seems that our world falls apart. We cannot live up to that. And this is why we have to have the proper understanding of what God wants us to focus on. It's too often that standard. In all of our relationships, we need to endeavor on this side, not focus on perfection in, you fill in the blank, parenting, your job, not focus on perfection in whatever it might be that you would wish for. But instead, we need to brag on, we need to rejoice in, we need to focus on God's perfect grace in our lives. You and I need to celebrate the grace of God. And none of those things go away, okay? So don't tune out all those things. They're all good. We just have to make sure that we have an underlying theme in our life of God's grace and celebrating in that because that can, listen, that can never be taken away from you. And yet everything else in this world can be, can seem to fall apart. All of that to bring us to our text. If you're not there already, would you turn to Genesis chapter 12, please? Genesis chapter 12. We'll be in a few different places in Genesis today. Let me give you some background as you're turning there. I want us to begin as we look at this beautiful woman, and that's straight from the Bible, this beautiful woman named Sarah. And as we look at her, we're going to be reminded of, and I need to give this as a foundation, we're going to be reminded of the multiple times that God would tell Abram or Abraham, and God will tell Sarah, I think through her husband on a regular basis, that they were going to see through them a redeemer come to the world. God was going to rescue the world through them. In chapter 12 and verse 3, let me give you three, three verses that state this. In 12.3, we find there where it says, In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So this is not just a promise of a regular child. Everyone in the world will be blessed through this seed. Don't turn there right now, but in chapter 15 and verse 4, when Abraham says to God, I continue childless, God. I think this was years of a back and forth dialogue. I continue childless. And God says, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him, Abraham, outside and said, look toward the heavens and number the stars if you can number them. So shall your offspring be. This is a promise that Sarah would hold on to. In chapter 18 and verse 10, he says, your wife Sarah shall have a son. And that is in her old age and will come to that. So as Sarah's husband, 
he would know this promise. And I think that Abraham would repeat this promise to Sarah on a regular basis. She would have a son who would, and we use these words, go on to save the world through future generations. That's where Jesus would come from. And I believe that this beautiful woman had faith in God. And along life's way, as she is going through what she's doing, she would have to hold on to this faith in God, even when other things seem to fall apart. And so in what kind of situations would Sarah need to hold on to this grace? So I've encouraged you, whatever you would wish for today, make sure it's not getting put above your relationship with God, that grace that you hold on to day by day. And as you look at that, I want to suggest that Sarah had to come to a few things in her life there that seemed like her world was falling apart. But she was a woman of faith, and we do see that. If you're taking notes, number one, we see that grace is reflected in Sarah's husband. God's grace is reflected in Sarah's husband. And so just to let you know what I'm going to say here, we're going to see it in Abram, and some of you have seen it even already today in your households. There are no perfect husbands. And all God's wives said, amen. Don't say it too loudly, okay? We have feelings. There are no perfect husbands. We're in Genesis 12. Look with me in verse number 11. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. What's happening here? Sarai is a remarkably beautiful woman. There is no doubt about that. And Abraham is wise enough to know that when he goes into this place where he's not in charge, the king very likely will see this beautiful woman and the man that might be married to this beautiful woman might be thought poorly of and even his life might be in danger so that the king can take this beautiful woman. That man might be treated poorly. But the other end of that is this. A man who might be the brother of this beautiful woman, he might be treated very, very well, very wonderfully. He might be rewarded if he's the brother of this beautiful woman. And so we see what he does here. He acts very much so in a way where he treats his wife in a way where he says, say that you're my sister so that I could be treated well for your sake. And because of this, Sarah got into all kinds of difficulties. Clearly, Abraham was not looking out for his wife. I'm going to give a couple side topics here. We're going to talk about a couple things just as a side note. The first one's going to be marriage. Because while happiness is going to be a good part of a good marriage. I want to suggest that happiness is not all there is. And if you're coming at marriage or you're approaching marriage with this idea that it's going to be just completely filled with happiness all the time, you need to prepare yourself. You might need to brace yourself for a reality. Happiness should be a part of a good marriage, but it's not all that there is. And so that famous line, I heard it even in the past couple weeks in a movie that I was watching when a woman didn't want to be with her husband anymore, and she just said this line, and let me just tell you, this teaches, this influence teaches. She said, I just don't feel it anymore. 
Let me tell every one of you, there's probably, most likely going to be times when you don't feel it anymore. It's going to be there. But I want to suggest that happiness is not the only thing in that marriage. If that goes away for a season, and hopefully it would, re- hopefully it would return, that is not the main thing even. Ephesians chapter 5 gives us a beautiful picture of marriage. And it tells us some things about marriage that are more than our own happiness. And this is a beautiful thing for us to remember. Because in this world, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ... In this world, one of the things that your marriage does is your marriage is a living illustration that people can see of an invisible union between Jesus Christ and his church, his bride. That's the picture that your marriage should be, a living, visible picture of what the church is supposed to be to Jesus Christ. That's a nice picture, isn't it? That's what it's supposed to be. And I won't say no pressure because, yes, the pressure's on. That's what you need to be working for. And just because you run into some difficult times, you don't give up on that. Because when you fail and when you mess up as the bride of Christ, how many times has God turned his back and forsaken you? Zero. He never will. And that's the picture that our marriages are supposed to send to a world that is watching today. So there are no perfect husbands. And all the husbands here said, amen to that. And so if you're looking for a husband that is going to be everything that you want him to be, so that picture maybe the week before you got married of what that husband would be, that knight in shining armor, let me just tell you this. If your husband's a Christian, a follower of Christ, at his best, your husband is just a sinner that is hanging on by the grace of God at his best. And not to rain on Mother's Day, but that's exactly what you are as a mother, if you know Jesus Christ. You're just hanging on by the grace of God. Someone once said um, very well, they said marriage is well-defined as two sinners bound together by grace. I think that's an accurate picture. I read this past week where someone said, marriage is not about your happiness It's about your holiness, but wait for how this ends, okay? Marriage is not about your happiness, but it's about your holiness because God is going to use the struggles of your marriage to draw you closer to Him. So the words, I just don't feel it anymore. Understand, God will use that. I will every once in a while refer to God as the best lemonade maker in the history of the world. Because you'll look sometimes at what's before you and you'll say, this is a lemon right here. What good could come from this? Well, watch what God can do with it when you are faithful and when you keep the vow that you make before him. Let's turn over to Genesis chapter 16 and we'll see the next area where God's grace is clearly displayed. The next area where God's grace is displayed. If you're taking notes, we see here that God's grace is reflected in Sarah's family. His grace is reflected in Sarah's family. Look in the first four verses of Genesis 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. So we know what she's thinking. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. 
And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, don't miss this, when Sarah saw that Hagar had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. So the picture here of what's happened is very clear. God had made a promise. Remember our foundation. God had made a promise that there was going to come an heir through Sarah and Abraham that would bless the entire world. But here we find that she's gotten older. She has a faith in God. But she has not been given a child. And she's getting desperate. And some, some of us, we just say this pain must have been horrible. Maybe you can't understand what it was like. So many women want to have a child so badly, and here she's working and, and doing all kinds of things to make that happen. Let me give you one little side application here. We need to be careful not to take that thing that you wish for and put that above God. And in this category here, here's what that means. To want a child is normal. To have to have a child to have any meaning in your life is idolatry. You are putting that above God. Now, I warned you at the beginning, these are not bad things. These are great things that the devil knows. If he can just switch around the priorities, he will knock us off our effectiveness for God. And so you, if you get to the point where you say, my life is not worth anything if I don't have, you fill in the blank. It's not worth anything if I don't have a child. That seems to be the spirit of Sarah here. And in everything, we must hold on to the grace of God for our joy because nothing can take that away, but everything else can be taken away from you. Sarah gave her handmaid to her husband in order to get him a son, and this made for a very dysfunctional family. Later on in chapter 21, when, um, the, when their baby, Isaac, is finally born, we see Ishmael there, which is the son by Hagar. Ishmael's a teenager at this point, and Ishmael is mocking Isaac. Sarah sees this. Even before Isaac was born, it said here that she had contempt with her mistress. Some of your virgins might say despised her. She despised her. She had contempt for her. Later on, after Isaac comes, this teenager... And not a nice, sweet teenager. Kind of an obnoxious, prideful teenager. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about there. This teenager was mocking Isaac. And at that point, Sarah said to Abraham, he's got to go. This dysfunctional family. He has to go. And Abraham says, he can't go. He is my son. He will stay. We have to have him here. And in God's wisdom, he tells Abraham later on, do what Sarah told you. For some of you women, if you want a good takeaway today, that can be your takeaway. Husbands, do what your wife tells you. That's a great takeaway, isn't it? Sarah comes to the point, and she, I think she says this over time, he has to go. And if we fast forward to 21 verse 12, 
God says to Abraham, do what Sarah tells you to do. Now let me go ahead and focus on this just for a moment because every one of us, if you are raising children, you have an incredible stewardship of something. You have the incredible stewardship of generational impact. You want to know how you can impact your world, what you can do to make a difference, pour your lives and your hearts into a generation that will live for God that will seek out a mate that loves Jesus Christ and they can impact their generation and it will go even beyond that. Generational impact. If you are not aware of the fact of generational impact and how important it is in you as a parent or a grandparent, how important this is to God, you need to be aware of the fact that this has crossed the mind of the devil. He knows how important generational impact is. And if believers are going to commit themselves to raising children that love God and have them grow up to raise more children that love God and then go on to raise more children that love God, the devil knows this very plainly and it's his desire to frustrate all of God's plans for your life. And if one of your plans, if you're being very intentional about raising your generation, that, that, those ones that you influence, to have an impact in the world, the devil wants to stop you. So I gave us a casual definition earlier that marriage can be defined as just two sinners bound together by grace. Well, if marriage is two sinners bound together by grace, what do you think a houseful of people are? It's a whole houseful of sinners that are bound together by grace. And not that I want to preach you my woes too much. It's not a woe. But just this morning I thought, Holy smokes, what's a whole group of church people bound together? We are a group of people bound together by grace, and that will demonstrate itself every once in a while. And so we need to remind ourselves of the grace of God. Here's a small application for us. No matter how pleased you are with your kids at their best, and I've talked to some of you, I've heard some of you say, I couldn't be more pleased with my kid. They're wonderful. They're a great kid. At your kids, Christian best, they are nothing more than sinners hanging on by the grace of God. And so there are no perfect husbands, amen. There are no perfect kids. I know some of you haven't figured that out yet, but you don't have a perfect kid. There's no perfect kids. And then finally and quickly, we'll see this one. God's grace is reflected in Sarah's faith. Turn over to Genesis chapter 18. We're, we're pretty close there already. Genesis chapter 18. God's grace is reflected in Sarah's faith. I thought it might be a sweet way to form the sermon in this way. We could have started it with Sarah laughing, which we're going to see here, and we could have closed it with Sarah laughing. She laughed a couple different times, we see here in the book of Genesis. In Genesis 18, here's the familiar story. The two angels, along with an appearance of God, appear to Abraham and to Sarah. They're going on their way to Sodom and Gomorrah. We're familiar with that story. This is called, if you're wanting a big churchy word, a theophanies, an appearance of God in the Old Testament. These two angels and God appear. That's what we come to. We'll skip to verse number 10 of Genesis 18, where it says, The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. 
And so Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? We find here that Sarah laughs when God interacts and God tells them what's going to happen. Now, we need to understand that Sarah was a woman of faith. She's a great example of faith. But what God is doing here, this is a stretching of her faith, okay? We might relate this to saying one of our nursing homes here in town, let's say Suncrest Nursing Home, they're having an addition going on. I saw that in the paper. What would you think if you saw that addition going on the nursing home and it's going to be an OBGYN center there at the nursing home? They're building a big section for all the babies that are going to be born from the folks in the rest home. What would you think? I know what you would think. You just chuckled at it. It's foolish. That's silly. What's in the water over there, you might think? The idea here, she is so old and her husband was so old. This is something that God is going to very much so have to remind her of the basis of her faith, and that is God's grace. She did have genuine faith in God, but she did not take this seriously. It was absolutely and incredibly inconceivable. Literally, it was inconceivable, I guess we could say. As we look at that, let's fast forward to chapter 21 and verse number 6, because we're going to see Sarah laughing again. And at that point in chapter 21, she is laughing for a different reason, because right now, imagine this picture Use your imaginations. Picture her holding little Isaac in her arms. And she laughs. Some of you mothers have had the wonderful joy of holding your baby and just laughing because God puts something within you that has given you that wonderful, wonderful joy. She's laughing again And I want to suggest to you when we look at these two different kinds of laughter, here's what's going on. She was laughing, don't miss this, because the promise of God was even stronger than her faith. And aren't you glad for that today? Aren't you glad that the level of your faith, no matter if you're here in your maturity and Christian walk or if you're way up here, been doing it for a long time, You've got quite a few answers. Aren't you glad that the level of your faith is not nearly as strong as the promise of our God? I rejoice in that today. If you would turn over to Galatians chapter 3, I'm going to read one more verse while we close here. Galatians chapter 3, I'm going to read one verse because it demonstrates very well this promise that God had given 2,000 years before Jesus Christ was born and what we celebrate today after the birth and death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior. Galatians chapter 3, we're going to read verse number 8, and here is the concluding point. She has a satisfyingly perfect Savior. That is underlying all of this. So when her husband was not perfect, when her family was dysfunctional, when she herself got caught laughing at something God said, and God called her on the rug. With all of these things, she had a faith, and with all of these things, she had a satisfyingly perfect Savior. And you and I rejoice in that same promise. Look in Galatians 3, verse number 8. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached 
the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. I want to suggest to you that very likely when Sarah would hold that beautiful baby there with her, she realized the faithfulness of her God, and she knew this was a special baby. It's very, very possible that she would have sang a little lullaby, a little song to her child, something like, there is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, Holy One. I think she sang a song that was of that same flavor. I like for us to sing it today. Would you sing There is a Redeemer with me? There is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, Holy One. Thank you, Almighty. What can you do with this? What can you do in your life with this lesson from Sarah? Well, it's come through pretty clearly. If you have everything in your life built into your relationship with your spouse, if you have everything in your life built into your kids, you name the situation, your job, your finances, whatever you have that's going to fill in that I wish for spot. No matter what you have, you need to be constantly determining that day by day you're going to keep God in that first place. There is not going to be anything greater in this world than allowing all those other things, everything that is so good, to be subservient to God's grace. And it is only when you and I do this that he is genuinely and beautifully going to add his hand of blessing on all those other smaller graces along the way. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, it truly is good to receive gifts from you. You do not make us wait until we get to heaven to enjoy so many of your graces. Of course, the grace of being forgiven is such a joy and blessing. But so many other things along the way, being a mom or a dad, being a child that's raised in a home where their parents love them and care for them and understand that these ones are going to grow up and hopefully impact the world in a way that would change them, for, change the world for Jesus Christ. We thank you for all the other things that come along. Help nothing ever to knock you out of number one in our lives, that beautiful place of importance. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm going to ask Anna just to play through just a note. If you're here today, whatever you put in your wish spot, thank God for that. Pray for that. And pray that it would never take the place of God in your life. Maybe you're here today and you don't know what it is to call Jesus Christ your Redeemer. You can stop right now and ask Him to be God of your life because He died on the cross we can have forgiveness of sins. That's where it all starts. And then we go through our lives 
in a wonderful, beautiful, grace-receiving way. Let me give you just a moment to pray while Anna plays through.